If you don't have a workbook, we have those at the resource table just outside the doors here. But we'll be looking at page 17, which is session number one. We had the introductory session last week, and now we'll have six sessions looking at specific topics related to a biblical view of our, our finances, beginning on page 17. As you get settled in and you get turned to that page in your workbooks or go fetch a workbook or steal a workbook or whatever you have to do, let me uh, mention a few other resources that we have available on the resource table related to this topic of a biblical view of finances. One of them is this uh, fold-out material that I have here that is uh, called a money map. And it's put out by a Christian uh, financial organization. In fact, they were part of the collaboration that uh, published the workbook that you have in front of you, Crown uh, Ministries, Crown Ministries. And they have this uh, fold-out uh, money map to really give you a kind of a step-by-step visual aid of the kinds of things you need to do if you're going to manage your finances in a way that's pleasing to God. So we have those out there, and uh, all of the stuff we put out on the table, you are charged only what we pay for. We're not making any money off it. I just want you to know that. But uh, these, are th- these cost us $3, so they are $3 at the table. And also out on the table, there are some resources from Dave Ramsey. Some of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey. He's on the, uh, on the radio, and he has a number of books and resources, DVDs and so on. And we have a couple of those out there as well, a book and a DVD also for you to take just to supplement what we're looking at here if you so choose to, to use that. Obviously, you don't have to. But uh, it's just there for the taking or the, let me, let me rephrase that. It's there for the purchasing if you, uh, if you want it. We'll be looking at page 17 today, session number one. And we have six weeks together, counting today. Last week was the introduction, so seven weeks total. And we're looking at this issue of managing our money God's way, the title of the series that you see uh, on the screen behind me and to which you were invited by a mailer or by friend. And we're delighted that you're here. We look forward to not only today, but the the next five weeks as well together, looking at what God has to say about our finances and how we can manage them in a way that uh, honors him and benefits benefits us. And page 17, we're going to be looking at the need to dedicate it all to God, to dedicate all that we have to God as a first step in managing our finances God's way. As we do, let me introduce introduce it this way. I heard a pastor tell of a story of an experience he had in the first church that he pastored. The guy that was telling the story is about 60 years old at the time he's telling it, but he was 28 at the time this occurred. So he was a 28-year-old pastor in his first, leading his first church. And he had a guy in his church who was a, uh, a CPA. He was not just a certified public accountant, but he actually owned a CPA firm. Uh, and this fellow asked the young pastor to go to lunch with him uh, one day, asked him to come to his place, happened to be in the Dallas area, and the pastor had never been into his, this fellow's workaday world until this, this time. And so he invited him to his office, and he was in this high-rise place, and he owned you know, a whole floor and all of that, and this guy didn't know any of that. Um, so he was pretty uh, wide-eyed and uh, enamored with all he was seeing there. And then going to lunch meant going to the very top of this high-rise where they had a, uh, a restaurant, and it was all the guys with the napkins and 
you know, maitre d's and the whole bit. And you could see pretty much all of Dallas from, from out there. And as they, uh, as they get into the lunch, the fellow says, uh, look, he says uh, to this young pastor, he said, I uh, love people. And I love to see people reached with the gospel, and I particularly have a soft spot for hurting people. But the problem is I'm here all the time, and you're the guy with more access to the people. So this is what I'd like to do. He says, I want to give you this, and he gives him a checkbook. And he says to this pastor, and I'm taking this guy's word for it, he, he says this is what happened. He says, uh, he said, I want you to open up the first check. And in it, it said, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. And then had $5,000. And he said, I want to start with that for you to use this fund to reach hurting people, help hurting people and reach folks with the gospel. So anytime you come in contact with somebody who's got a need, they are down uh, on their finances, they need their electricity turned on, You've got a fund to help them do that. I want you to use this to help them do that. You get a runaway teenager that needs a place to stay, and you've got to put her, put her up somewhere while you try to reconcile this family. You use this fund for that. Uh, you come up with an idea to reach out into the community with the, with the gospel. Use this fund for that. And there's more where that came from. And he says, and, and then what I'd like to do is every so often, every three months or so, let's get together and just tell me what the Lord's doing. You know, let's go through, show me what you, what you spend it on and how the Lord's using that. Well, this 28-year-old pastor, I mean, he's intimidated by this whole thing. You know, unusual, uh, to say the least. Excited at the same time, but he went and did what the guy said. And so as needs came up, as they often do when you're interacting with people, he would use, these, use it for various purposes. And he tells the story that they saw some marvelous things happen as a result of that. They saw, uh, they saw indeed runaway teenagers come and uh, need a place to stay. And they were able to help with that, but also talk to the family and see some of that family come to Christ as a result of extending this benevolence to them. Or turning somebody's electricity on had an effect on, and on it went. And so he'd get together with this uh, fellow, this uh, wealthy fellow, and he would tell him the stories, always up in this top floor restaurant, and he said, this guy was one of those guys who had developed the habit of not caring what anybody thought. So when I told him the stories, if he was blessed by it, he would just say right in the middle of the restaurant, praise the Lord. And he says, I want to crawl under the table, but he didn't care. And he would just get excited about it. And he kept adding money to this fund. And they gave away tens of thousands of dollars to people and saw people blessed by that, but also come to the Lord through that. The hurting helped. The unsaved sought through the generosity of this fellow who wanted to see his money used in that way. Now, I'm going to come back to that guy at the end of the story. But before I leave at the end of today, I'll come back to that story. But before I leave that story, the fellow related, the pastor related some of what developed over that several year period in which uh, they were doing this. And one of the things that happened was these guys became best of friends. Because now they had a vested interest together. And he was managing something that belonged to, the man's name was John. I'm managing what belongs to John. And I have some accountability, but it's accountability from one friend to another, 
We're both on the same page in what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And so they became very, very good, good friends. And John, the uh, gentleman who was uh, the wealthy benefactor, went on to be with the Lord. And uh, I want to then talk about him again at the end of our, our time together. But that introduces then the topic that's on page 17, dedicating it all to God. And the very first point on page 17 is that you need to fill in the blank for is that God owns everything. God owns everything. God owns everything. But secondly, and I'll give you that next blank and then I'll talk about it a bit, but the second point that God teaches with regard to us and our finances related to him is, yes, he owns everything, but the second thing is this. You, we are his money manager. You are God's money manager. And so, like this pastor was managing this money for John, we are managing God's money for him. And this young pastor was asked by John, look, whenever you carry around that checkbook in your back pocket and you encounter a situation, ask yourself, what would John want you to do with this? I'm asking you to be my, my hands and my feet with regard to using this money in a way that I would want it used, and I've told you how I want it used, for hurting people and to see people come to, to Jesus. Ask yourself, how would John want it used? And similarly now, because we are God's managers, we really technically don't own anything. He owns everything. We're in the same position. We're to be asking ourselves, what would God want me to do with this? What would Jesus want me to do with this? How would Christ want me to use this? And some important consequences result then when we take that kind of approach toward our finances. Rather than taking an ownership approach, we take a management approach. We don't own it. He does. We manage it. And there are some consequences that come out of that. Let me explore those with you a little bit. They're not in your notes. But just think about a bit. You all are probably familiar. I'm sure you're familiar with this. That the difference in mentality between renting something and owning something. Let's start there. There is a difference, isn't there? I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you take a rented vehicle back to the rent-a-car company and you stop before you take it to get it washed and cleaned on the inside, then I will pay for you to have a brain scan. I mean, nobody in their right mind does that, do they? It's not mine. We take it back to the place, and, and in fact, that's what they do. That's their problem. I'm just renting it to do what it was I rented it for, for the period of time for which I rented it, and when that's over with, it's your problem, right? So that's what, that's, that's, that's the renter's mentality. Now you can apply that to houses. <laughs> you know, we've got folks in our church who make their living by, by cleaning up the remains of houses that people have just left. Well, anybody who's been a landlord, anybody who's ever owned a piece of property and rents it to, to other people has horror stories to tell about the mentality that says, it's not my problem, I don't, I don't own it, I'm just the renter. Now, I trust that you have values such that you would protect somebody else's property simply because of your Christian virtues. 
But that's what happens over and over again. There's a different mentality when you're renting it as opposed to if you are the owner of it. When you rent something, it is by definition transient. I'm not planning to be here forever. And so it has a transient mentality to it. And when I'm done with it, I can just turn it back in or I can just take off and then it's the owner's problem. That's very often the renter's mentality. But if you own it, you have responsibility for it. If it's going to get done, you're the one who's, who's got to do it. And so there's this difference between renting and owning, and how do you relate that to God owning everything and you being his manager? Well, there's not an exact parallel to those, but at least gets you thinking along the frame of mind to say, what is my position as it relates to ownership versus management versus responsibility for something that doesn't belong to me? And here's how I think about that. Um, think about it this way. You know, you could be a renter in an apartment complex. I know some of, some of you are. And you have probably witnessed, again, I'm sure you haven't done this, but you probably witnessed other renters in your building who have the renter's mentality. They don't care. And they don't care how they leave it. And so they just take off. And then the landlord's got right. They don't care about it. But there's somebody, even besides the owner, the owner cares about it. We know the owner cares about it, right? But who else cares about it? Who else really cares about the condition of that place? Well, it's the person who is the apartment manager. They don't own it, but they care about it because they have a vested stake. They have an interest in how this goes, how it's protected, how it's maintained. It's possible in... A number of scenarios for us to not be the owner, but for us to also not just have the renters transient who cares mentality. To have a responsible position before the owner that says, I am the manager and my well-being depends on how I carry out this management responsibility. So even in this apartment complex, we may have a bunch of renters who don't care. You've got at least two people who care, two entities, the owner, but not just the owner, the person who's responsible to manage it for the owner. They care. And guess where you are? You're the, you're the manager of the stuff that God owns. And you may have one building with 10 units in it. You may have 10 buildings with 10 units in it. But they all belong to God, and he has entrusted to you the management of those units. And if you then look at your role that way, now you won't look at it as just a renter to dispose of it in a transient way, but rather as a responsible party who says, my best interest is wedded to how I perform this duty given to me by the owner. And I think that's a very close parallel to how God tells us to view our finances and our role. He's the owner, we're the manager. We're not the renters, we're not the owner, we're in the middle. We're managing what he owns for him. Now let me say one other thing about that, we'll move on. If you mess this up, if you say I'm just a renter, which is the way most of us have kind of pursued our finances, if we're honest about it, I'm just sort of letting it go and then who cares what happens at the end. Uh, if you pursue it that way, there are obvious problems that most of us experience that way. 
But if you take the other opposite approach and says, that says, I am not the manager of what God owns. No, I'm the owner. If you forget that actually God owns it and then you begin to think that you own it, there's some very bad things that come out of that. Let me just give them to you. What's your attitude going to be like when something that you once had possession of, you no longer have possession of? What's your attitude going to be like if you believe you own that versus if you believe somebody else owns it? Well, here's the way that should go. If we recognize that, yes, I had possession of this amount of money, this material thing, or this relationship, anything that's been given to me, I had possession of that, but I never owned it to begin with. It was never mine to begin with. I was to manage it in a responsible fashion for the one who owns it. Then you can have the attitude that Job had. Do you all remember Job? Who lost everything? His possessions, his relationships, his health. And it's because Job did not have an owner's mentality. But he also didn't have a renter's mentality. He had a manager's mentality. Job was able to say, the owner, the Lord, do you guys remember? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The only way Job could say that, the only way you can say that, when, not if, something that you previously had responsibility for is taken away from you. The only way that you can maintain that kind of an attitude is if you firmly understand you didn't own it to begin with. You're the manager of something that belongs to God. Now, you say, well, preacher, that doesn't help me much. I mean, I read Job and I don't want to be Job. I don't want to lose all my stuff and my health and my relationship. Well, neither do I. But I have to understand what Job was taught and the reason for which that's memorialized for us in scriptures to teach us that very lesson. We're not owners. We are, we are managers of what God owns, one. But also understand this, that the one who owns it, if you were just left to the whims of a malevolent owner, we would be in big trouble. A God who is just liable to do anything to you just because he likes to see you squirm. Well, then you'd be in big trouble, wouldn't you? But let me add one other thing to this notion that your attitude should be that of a, a manager that should, that should change your mindset and perspective on the things that you once had that might later be taken away. And that is, you are not under the supervision of a malevolent owner, but the most benevolent owner. And if you don't feel that way right now, if you don't feel like the owner of everything you are and everything you have is benevolent, that is good. He has your best interests at heart, even when allowing bad things. Then I hope that during the course of this series that you will come to know him in a way that causes you to trust him so that now you can take the approach that Job took. And says this good God, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is the owner. He gives and he takes away. God owns everything. And we simply manage that which God owns. Now, we had you fill in the blank. You are God's 
money manager. And if you want to put next to money manager a number of synonymous terms, money manager or custodian or guardian or trustee, these are all synonyms for our role biblically before God who owns everything. We manage, we're the trustees for, the guardians of, the custodians of, the stuff that belongs to God. And the Bible says this in a number of places. We have them listed for you here, just some of them. 2,350 verses in the Bible about money and possessions. Here's just a sampling of God's position versus ours in the ownership management hierarchy. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you. He who gives the ability to produce wealth. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So because of that, if we're going to dedicate it all to God and thus use our money God's way, then we are going to have to do what's in the box on the middle of page 17. We're going to have to remember the oikonomia principle. What is that? Well, here's what it is. That oikonomia is a compound of two Greek words in your, used in your New Testament. The first one is oikos, which means house. And the second one is namos, which means law or rule or order. And you put them together, oikonomia means house law or house order or house rule. And here's the idea, that the entire world is God's house. It's his apartment complex. And it's got all these sections to it, and he's put managers in, in charge of it. And you are an oikonomos. That's the word used in the New Testament for you and me, an oikonomos. That we are trustees, it's sometimes translated, stewards is another word that translates oikonomos. Trustees or stewards or managers in your New Testament. You are an oikonomos in God's oikonomia. God's big house with all of his apartment buildings and he's placed you over some of it to manage it for him. That's the principle. Now, we don't have it in the notes there, but you might just jot down Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verses 42 and following. Luke 12, 42 and following. And in Luke chapter 12, and I encourage you to read it sometime when, when, this week if you can. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 42, Jesus gives a, a parable, a story to make a point. And in this story, Jesus says that an owner gave responsibility to an oikonomos, a manager, to manage his stuff for him. And the owner was going to check back with the steward, the manager, to find out how well he did with the stuff that the owner had entrusted to him. And Jesus goes on to give the parable of him doing that. And some had done well and others had not, and there were consequences that went with each. And then at the end of it, Jesus ends with this principle that many of you have heard before. Jesus says, remember this, to him to whom much is given. You know the rest, don't you? Much is required. 
And so God is saying, I'm going to hold you responsible, accountable. Not for what you don't have, but for what you do have that I've placed in your possession on my behalf. The question is not the amount. The question is what you do with the amount. The question is not how the abundance of resources. The question is what you do with those resources. And that is the criteria that God is going to use, says Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Well, that becomes a really big deal when you consider what we have at the bottom of page 17. Stewardship of God's property is not just about money. We're stewards of all of these, and we're going to fill in these blanks now, all of these gifts as well. That's why I like to use the word resources. Because it's not just money, but it is all of the resources that God has given us. And we have a long list of them for you on page at the bottom of page 17. Here's the first one, time. That you are a manager of the time that God has entrusted to you. Who's the owner of time? God is. But he's entrusted a slice of time to you, a particular number of days. Now, you don't know how many days you, you have total. You know how many hours there are in a day, so we all got the same number of that. How many days in a week and in a month and in a year, but you don't know how many you're going to extend out. And because you don't know that, the Bible gives a principle. We have it for you there. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. And if you were to read Psalm 90, from which that's taken, it talks about the brevity and uncertainty of life. And because it's brief and it's uncertain, I don't know when it'll end. I don't know how much time I have. Then I need to make the most of every moment that I have for the one who has given me those moments. So I'm a manager and I will be held accountable for the time that I have. Now, I don't know how much I'm going to have. Total length of days on this earth, neither do you. But you know where you are right now. You know what kind of time you have right now. Some of you are retired. You have more time now than you had when you were in the workaday world, working overtime and all of that. Now, some of the retired folk just looked at each other and went, that's what we thought was going to happen when we retired. Because now we're watching the grandkids and we're doing all kinds of other stuff. And I understand that. There's always available work to fill the vacuum of, of time. But you have more discretionary time available to you than you've ever had. Others of you don't have a whole lot of discretionary time. If you were to look at your schedule, it's filled with all kinds of things. But these are all things that, or many of these, are things that you have control over. Your work hours you don't have a lot of control over, most of us. So that's out of your control. But 15 sets of ballet lessons for the kids, you have control over. All the different stuff that you have going on in discretionary way, God has entrusted to you with regard to the time that you have, and he's going to hold us accountable for how we use it. To him whom much is given, much will be required. If you say, I don't have it, the question is, is it because you have used it for other things other than God's purposes, or... Is it because you truly only have a, a small slice of discretionary time? Look at the next blank, the bottom of page 17. Spouses, spouses. Just to hammer home this idea that it's not just about money, but stewardship, management of what belongs to God is not just money. It's not just time. It's also relationships. Your spouse, if you're married, your spouse is not your 
possession in terms of ownership. That relationship, that marriage belongs to God. It's to be dedicated to God just like your money and your, and your time. So the spouse is supposed to be treated the way God says a spouse is to be treated. A marriage is to be pursued the way God says a marriage is to be pursued. Top of page 18. Not only husbands and wives, spouses, but children. Children are a gift from the Lord, Psalm 127. So these children are not mine. Job's children were not his. These children belong to the Lord. They were given to me by the Lord. He has entrusted them to me to manage them for his purposes. Of course, money is the next one, money. But in the middle of page 18, the fifth thing, the fifth item of resource that we are entrusted with is spiritual gifts. You can just put in abilities if you want. Abilities. In the middle of page 18, abilities. So you're able to do certain things. Acquired abilities, uh, natural abilities, you're able to do these things. And God says you are able to do them, you are able to acquire them because I gave you the opportunity and the skills to do that. Therefore, it's a gift from me. Therefore, it must be used for my purpose. And to him whom much is given, much will be required. The gospel is the next one, second from the bottom on page 18. The gospel message itself is something that's been entrusted to us as managers to protect it and to propagate it for the one who gave it. So the Bible has a lot of warnings about being careful, about being careful regarding how you use the gospel message, that you don't water it down. It's not your message. You don't make it up. It's his. And he will hold us accountable. And the last blank on page 18, people. People. There are just people in general, not just your spouse, not just your children, but God has placed in your circle of influence a range of people that he's going to hold you and me responsible for how we used that relationship at work, at church. Notice at top of page 19 what God says. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So every good gift we have, whatever it is, spouses, children, money, spiritual gifts, people in, in general, whatever it is, these are good gifts that have come to us from the hand of God who owns them, and we are his managers. Now, have you ever heard this phrase? Have you ever heard this fancy phrase in, uh, in uh, business or it's actually in, in legal terms that you can have what's called a fiduciary responsibility? You ever heard that? A fiduciary responsibility. It's a fancy term, but here's what it means. You're in a relationship where you have a responsibility to behave in a way that is in the best interest of those for whom you have that responsibility, fiduciary responsibility. So myself and the leadership team at the church, we have a fiduciary responsibility before the law on certain acts or failure to take certain actions on behalf of the congregation. 
and failure to do that, we can be held liable for not fulfilling our fiduciary responsibility. A board of directors for a company has shareholders to whom they have a fiduciary responsibility. Why this fancy word fiduciary? What's it mean? Well, here's what it means. It's from this Latin phrase. Some of you are familiar with the Protestant Reformation, you know, when uh, the church was reformed, thus reformation, and there were these Latin words that started with phrases that started with sola, which means alone, sola scriptura, the scriptures alone, sola Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone, right? You know some of those? But here's, here's another one, sola fide, faith alone. And fiduciary comes from a Latin word, which means faithful, trustworthy. You have a fiduciary responsibility, a responsibility to be faithful in the discharging of these duties as leaders in the church, as a board of directors in a company, whatever the relationship is, fiduciary responsibility. And so that's what the Bible tells us, as a matter of fact. Look at the top of page 19. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God, in that case, managers of the message that God has given us. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, of managers, of trustees, that one be found trustworthy, that one will be found faithful, so that they can discharge this fiduciary responsibility that we've been given by God to manage his stuff. And if we do that, then we will learn how to use our resources in a way that honors God, but also helps us. And we are going to end in just a few moments with five reasons that you should then take this up, that you should dedicate everything that you are and everything you have to God in order to manage his resources his way. But before we look at the five things you're going to have to do, let me just prepare you mentally for the step of doing this. I mean, here's what we're going to, we're going to go through these five reasons in a second. But here's why you should really, 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 really this is what you're really looking to do when we go through these, these five steps. You're looking to relinquish ownership. You're relinquishing ownership of what you possess in all of the categories that we laid out on the prior pages. The money, the relationships, all of that. You're relinquishing ownership. You're saying, Lord, I'm no longer going to take an owner's mentality. You're the owner. I'm going to take a manager's mentality. I'm not going to take a renter's mentality either. I'm going to take a manager's mentality. That's what you've told me to be. And so I'm going to relinquish ownership of these things to you. And in the back of your notes on this session, in fact, if you'll hold your finger here, there's a way for you to do that. If you turn back to page 26... Page 26. What you have there is a quit claim deed. Now, some of you are familiar with a quit claim deed, right? In, uh, in, in housing. Property. And so you can fill out a quit claim deed and notice the phrase quit claim. 
quit claiming. Stop claiming. I've got this piece of paper that says I'm going to quit claim to ownership of this piece of property usually. And in fact, what we're having to do then, if we're going to dedicate it all to God, is we've got to have a quit claim deed that said, Lord, I I quit claiming ownership. And I'm relinquishing ownership back to you. And so on page 26, you have a bunch of examples of that. And on page 27, you've got to blank one of those. To actually go in and fill your stuff in your relationships and say, Lord, I am quitting this. I do not own this. I've been acting like I own it. But I'm going to cease operating with that mentality. Now, quickly, you look at some of those things and you go, um... So I relinquish ownership of my golf clubs. So I can't golf anymore. That's, that's not what that's saying. Notice, John's job is on here. We're obviously not saying John can't work anymore either. Every last one of these things can continue to be used. But now they'll be used as a manager rather than an owner. God has entrusted the golf clubs to you. Now use them in a way that God wants them used. God's entrusted the job to you. Now use it the way God wants it used. God's entrusted the children and the spouse and the gifts and all of that. They're still going to be used, but now they're going to be used from the standpoint of a manager rather than that of an owner. As we issue this quit claim deed, I encourage you, and those of you that are married, do it it as a, a couple, to get together and do this very thing, to dedicate it all to God. Now back to page 19. Five reasons to do the quit claim deed. A couple of these we've already looked at. The first one is it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. God owns it. It's his. So it follows that we should engage in the quit claim. Quit claiming that we own it. It belongs to him. Secondly, you are his money manager. You're his money manager. But then notice these other three. Here are three other reasons why you should do this. The third one is you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said this explicitly. You Quote, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot And so there is only one owner and there is only one master that we are to serve and he, it all belongs to him, including the money. So I can't say I've got God over here as an owner of some of the stuff and then I've got my money over here that allows me to own some of the stuff. You can't serve two masters. God will not tolerate any measure of idolatry. None. All exclusively focused on him. If you try to do that, I've got to hasten, but if you try to serve two masters, one of two things will happen. You'll redefine who the real master is. You'll change God into your image. That's what a lot of our churches are doing, just to be blunt today. We're remaking God in our image. You'll either do that or you'll stay with God as he really reveals himself and you'll be miserable. Because you'll know all the while he really does own it. He really is God. He really is on the throne. It really does belong to him. But all the while you're going to be pursuing it as if that's not true. And you're going to be miserable. 
You can't serve two masters. Fourthly, you can make an impact on eternity. The stuff that God's entrusted to you, the money he's entrusted, the skills he's entrusted, the time he's entrusted, the relationships he's entrusted, he has given to you in order to make an impact on eternity. And then fifthly, God blesses that which we, which we dedicate to him. God blesses what we dedicate to him. And if you want to jot down Matthew 6.33 next to that, Matthew 6.33, many of you are familiar with that passage. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things. And when Jesus says these things, he's talking about clothes. You go look at the context. Matthew 25 through 33. The context is our clothes, our houses. Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Now, just a couple of final comments and we'll have to be done. Did you all know that in your Bible it tells us that there are going to be, there's going to be a judgment for everybody? Everybody. So the owner is going to say, what did you do with the stuff I entrusted to you? There's going to be a judgment for him to do that. And we will all, according to the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every last one of us. But here's the interesting thing about that judgment to me. The interesting thing is the judgment, according to the chronology laid out in the Bible, does not take place as soon as you die. So many of us think, as soon as I die, I stand before the Lord, if I'm a Christian, at the judgment seat. But the chronology is actually not that. It's not until the end. And I have a, a theory that I'm, I'm pretty confident with as to why it's the end. Because your legacy is going to outlive you. What you did for good and for eternal purposes is going to outlive you. And then all of it, the whole story will have been told, and then you will be judged. Now, conversely, what we fail to do will also ripple out into the future and outlive us. And the Lord has the ability, unlike us, the Lord has the ability to know and to judge what could have been accomplished if we had been faithful in the use of the resources he had given us. And every one of us will stand before him to give an account. At the end, after it's all rippled out through time, how do you want that to go? When, not if, you stand before your Lord. I'll close with John, the fellow I started with. The wealthy fellow who told the uh, pastor, here's a fund, let's use this for the Lord. Over those years that he and this pastor were doing this, they had countless people that they were able to help with the resources that God had entrusted to John. Countless resources, countless people. Teenagers, families come to the Lord, all kinds of people. What's it going to be like for John? He's now with the Lord, and he's going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat someday. And the ripples of that are going to go out. And they're going to be the, the people that he knew about when he was in that restaurant and he yelled, praise the Lord. But they're going to be people that are still being blessed by that long after he's gone. 
They're the grandkids of that teenage runaway that now have a legacy of godliness and the gospel given to them because of the faithfulness of that guy. That's going to be there. And, you know, just in my sanctified imagination, I can just see people in heaven coming up to a guy like John and saying, thank you. And, of course, John's going to say, thank Jesus. But thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for being a manager of God's stuff for the purpose for which he gave it. What a marvelous thing to stand before our Lord and have left a legacy of godliness with the resources that he has trusted to us that have rippled out and touched countless lives for the gospel, for eternity, and for his glory. Well, that's what we've got to do if we're going to manage our money God's way then. We have to dedicate it all to God. Now, there's homework at the end of each of these sessions. There's the quit claim deed. There's some other uh, exercises for you to do. And you'll only get out of this what you're willing and able to put into it. So I encourage you to do those exercises each week. And we'll come together next week with session number two. Let's dedicate our week to the Lord, all right? Hey, before we do, Dave Smith, is it your birthday? Is it your birthday today? It's today? All right. Well, everybody make sure you say happy birthday to Dave on the way out. All right, happy birthday, Dave. All right, let's bow before the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for your word that tells us about you, about ourselves, about your purposes for us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us explicit instructions about what you want to see accomplished with the resources that you've given to us, resources of every category, relationships and and possessions and time and and abilities. So thank you for telling us that, Lord. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that moves in our hearts and moves us to desire what you design so that we're not using your product in a way that's not directed, but we're using it as intended. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that causes us to want to do that. And that's why these dear folks are here. It's why I'm here. That's what we want to do, Lord. So help us this week to begin the process of dedicating it all to you, to quit claim to ownership of that which you've entrusted to us. Help us to have the time to do the, uh, to, to do the assignments so that we can glean the most out of this, to bring glory to you and benefit uh, for it not only ourselves, but others for eternity. Lord God, go with us this week. Grant us safety. Grant us a joyful week in Jesus. And bring us back next uh, Lord's Day. We pray in his name. Amen.